0: I got the shivers, this week on the podcast we got my main man, Sivers, modern day Seneca, chatting about why I left America. What? Travel au podcast de Welcome to the Travel Tribe Podcast. This week on the Travel Tribe X podcast, we are joined by Derek Sivers, author, circus performer, entrepreneur, founder of CD Baby, and who I would consider a modern philosopher. We discuss his article Why I Left America as well as explore some of the concepts of his chapter intertwined with the world in his book, How to Live. Highlighting the value of travel, immersing yourself in other cultures, and my favorite, spreading your seed. Enjoy this week's episode of Travel Tribe X. Today, I wanted to bring you on the podcast because I think you have really good insights and really good perspectives. And one of the perspectives you have, uh, which I had a chance to to read about, is kind of your view on traveling and and living abroad. And you recently uh, wrote an article about why you left America. And so I want to start off with a little short part from your book, Uh, How to Live. It begins like this. How far should you travel? Look to nature's example of floating dandelion seeds and sticky burrs. Plants and trees spread their seeds as far as possible, and so should you. Spread your DNA worldwide, not just biological DNA, but the other things that make you who you are, your ideas, values, and relationships. To live a full and rewarding life, intertwine yourself with the world. Move somewhere far away, plan to stay, bring no baggage. Leave Your Expectations and Certainties Behind. About If you can walk us through your decision process when, when you thought about leaving America for the first time. Sure.
1: I was living in Santa Monica, California, right near the beach. And to me, Santa Monica was perfect. The weather is always perfect. The people are a nice combination of ambitious but friendly. Los Angeles has all the opportunity in the world. Uh, you can be world famous and incredibly rich if you want to be from that place there's nothing holding you back there it just felt like why go anywhere else on earth it felt like the best place on earth but then after uh, i broke up with my girlfriend there and suddenly i realized that i was not only was i free but we learn when we're surprised we learn and grow when something upends our expectations and santa monica had become really comfortable to me it was it was not surprising me i was doing my work but i had this other image of pushing myself out into the world to be really kind of constantly upended almost on a daily basis and you don't have to travel the world to do that but that is a nice shortcut to being surprised every day is to travel the world but i didn't want to travel as a tourist i don't I don't Instagram. I don't need to impress anyone. I wanted to really go and get to know a place and integrate myself. So I just came up with a new plan for my life, which was to leave America and push out into the world and live everywhere else since I'd spent, like I was almost 40 at this time. So it's like I'd spent the first 40 years of my life in the U.S. I want to spend the
0: next 40 out. And what were some of the most memorable surprises that you stumbled upon during your time abroad? In Singapore,
1: I spoke to a business class. Uh, No, it was like a class. No, wasn't it entrepreneurship? I don't remember. But it was like a small, it was at a business school. And I was speaking to a class about business. And they asked me to come in as an entrepreneur and talk about starting a business. So I started out by saying, who here would like to start their own business? And like, no hands went up. And I said, Nobody? and it's like reluctantly one little hand went up and i was really confused because if you were asked this question in america like every hand would go up every single person would raise their hand of course everybody wants to start their own business so i thought they were just being shy so i started picking on people that didn't raise their hand i said why don't you want to start your own business and she said well why would i take the risk like i'd rather get a safe good paying job and I asked somebody else, why don't you want to start a business? And he said, well, my parents endured a lot of hardship um with their own little tiny noodle selling business so that I don't have to. And I asked somebody else and they said, well, I wouldn't want to uh, disappoint my family. Like my family's counting on me to support them when I'm older. That's too risky. And then I realized that growing up in america i know that we're not the center of the world but the american media can make you feel like you're in the center of the world and um that's when i realized how far off to the edge we are like not just as americans but i was a california american and it's like the extreme end of individualism entrepreneurship risk-taking all these kinds of things are off on the edge of the spectrum. So that was like my first kind of like reshifting and realizing that they weren't wrong for being the way they were. I was just off to one extreme.
0: One of the things uh, that we, we, when we bring guests on here and they tell us some of their stories of going abroad, they talk about kind of this inspiration to leave, which you talked about. But one of the other things that comes up is the fear of, of leaving. There's a lot of fear, especially because of the unknown. Did you have any fears before leaving? And if you did, how did you kind of deal with that?
1: Um, In short, no, none at all. I was so ready to get out. I had no fear. That said, I did plan to start easy. When I said that my idea was to spend the next 40 years out of the U.S., it was like, well, let me start with England. That's as easy as can be. (laughs) Well, I guess Canada. That doesn't even count. Um, But um, So it was like, start with England, then Australia, then, I don't know, somewhere else in Europe, then Brazil, so the idea was to get progressively more and more unlike the country I began in.
0: What would you say was the biggest difference or the craziest country for you, I guess, cultural-wise, or that kind of really stands out? Well, Japan, obviously.
1: <laughs> um, I actually just got back from two weeks in Japan again. I've been going there many times since 1992. Um, but it's so it's such different values It's interesting now going back with a kid, all my other times in Japan, I was uh, solo or just with another person my age, but I brought my son who's 10 years old and we spent two weeks there. There were so many things that he was not allowed to do, you know, (laughs) that don't touch this, don't touch that, don't go there. You can't go to it. No, must not. And whereas here in New Zealand, it's so free range. So it was just interesting seeing from a day to day experience how different that was for him and how different it would be to raise a kid in Japan where just so many things are forbidden and, and children are treated. Children are not trusted. (laughs) People are not trusted. I mean, just in general. Yeah. I'd say that there's a a culture. This, I felt this in Singapore too, that we don't trust you. Uh, You must do everything exactly like this because we don't trust you. Whereas here in New Zealand, people are trusted. I saw that in Iceland too. There was the, you know, the biggest, waterfall in iceland i think it's called self loss or something like that and um there's a path that goes right up to the waterfall and there's hardly even a gate there's like a i mean sorry hardly even a fence there's like a little wooden fence but i mean you could just easily just walk over and fall into the waterfall whereas if you go to niagara <laughs> falls in the u.s you know there's giant barriers you know to prevent lawsuits or whatever they they need to um completely block you so um Anyway, uh, trust is a big one that you feel on a day-to-day basis. But yeah, the the strangest place, of course, um, was Japan. That's not counting. I only spent a few days in Mongolia. I don't know if I could count that. Uh, Yeah, I think at the cultural, the deeper cultural level, Japan is about as different as can be for Mm -hmm. now.
0: Yeah, I had a chance to to spend some time in in Kyoto, and uh, that was one of the few places that, literally took my breath away. It was uh, looking at the golden pavilion. It's just, yeah, it's just, it was just so gorgeous. And I just loved how organized everything was. It's got a deep, deep, rich culture and history. So I really like Japan.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, that said, I haven't been, so you and I talked just a bit before we hit record. So my situation in life is that I set out at the age of 40 to go live all around the world. And I wanted to live in basically every country as much as I could until I die. But then I had a baby uh, with someone who right after our baby was born, she declared that she never wanted to travel ever again. And I want to be in my kid's life every week. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be that dad that's gone all the time. So my travel plans were interrupted. So I think by now I would have spent sometime in zanzibar and you know uh azerbaijan and peru and places like that that would be quite different uh Mm -hmm. but as of now i haven't so instead i read about them i learn about them so here i am like naming japan as the weirdest place i've been (laughs) but yeah i'm sure if i were to spend some time in turkmenistan or who knows, uh, somewhere like that, um, Sudan, that I'd find even more uh, different beliefs than I've encountered so far.
0: One of the the great opportunities of these podcasts, I get to ch- the chance to listen to some of these stories of, for example, someone who road tripped throughout Africa and you do hear about, for example, oh, you know, Sudan really surprised me because, you know, the people are super friendly or stuff like that. And it's it's kind of a way for me to travel without having to travel is getting to, to host well, these podcast episodes. <laughs>
1: Sorry, was that Francis? Did you meet Francis Tapon? Is that him?
0: No, this was a different uh, guy. His name's Dominic. They did a road trip from Cape Town, South Africa, all the way to uh, Egypt, I believe.
1: Dude, you should look up Francis Tapon, I think is his name, T-A-P-O-N. He wrote a book called Hidden Europe, uh, mm-hmm. which is about Eastern Europe. And then after writing that book, he spent a couple years going to every country in Africa. And ended up marrying a woman from there. And he has a rough draft of his book about that, but hasn't published it yet. He's a fascinating dude. You should have him on the show or just anybody listening to this. Look him up. Find that book called Hidden Europe, Eastern Europe. Um It's so interesting. I, I read it and loved it, but I didn't take my usual book notes. If you go to my website, sive.rs book, you'll see my notes from all the books I've read since 2007. And there's like 350 books there now but you won't find his book there because i decided not to take notes on it it was just such a wonderful travel log full of his observations and opinions that i just kicked back and enjoyed it and didn't take any notes but loved his book and i highly recommend it and look him up online i really hope he publishes his book about his travel log through africa
0: it's always really fun to, to hear the stories about going, people going to these hidden countries that, you know, I call them hidden gems that have lots of, you know, traditions and, and values and different foods that, that we're not accustomed to. So I'll definitely check that out. There's one thing I want to talk about. You were talking a little bit about culture, and I wanted to share one more quote from your book that I really, really liked. And it says, ask questions until you understand why things are the way they are. Culture is often historical. Like a person's outlook on life is shaped by what they've been through. A culture's values are shaped by its recent history. Learn their local mindset. Don't ask how they do things, ask how we do things. That small difference is important. This is your new home. And so kind of when I travel to new places, uh, I I feel like a chameleon. I'm like trying to immerse myself as quick as possible. And from your personal experiences, are there any kind of strategies or ways to even help bring walls down of, of local people?
1: Going to people's homes, hoping that they invite you into their home—that's a huge one. Mm-hmm. I think if you only stay out in restaurants and hotels, you don't really get a sense of it. Getting out of the city—cities are by nature um, a little homogenizing because there are so many international travelers. But if you go, you know, out to the suburbs, out to the small towns, you get a more uh, untainted view uh undiluted insight into culture so ideally if you could get out into the smaller towns and have somebody invite you to stay at their home i think that's the best way that said festivals can be a really concentrated dose of a country's culture you really get to see a lot of culture concentrated into a small space if you go to festivals and that could include weddings parties birthday parties you observe a lot of culture in in an hour, in, an, in, a, in a birthday party or a wedding or a, a festival. So there's that. But I think the staying in someone's home, to me, when I think back about the experiences, it really made me feel like, oh, wow, okay, I get this more now. We're staying in someone's home, but then lots of conversations, like real open conversations um, with people that explain their mindset. Like the... The thing I said earlier about the Singapore Business School, that was just the start of it. After the kids in that class said these things, then I started talking with a lot of Singaporean friends and just more and more and more understood the mindset of Singaporeans. You know, in the two and a half years I lived there, I probably met one on one with about 300 Singaporeans. So there's 300 conversations with 300 different people of different age groups. and. Races and socioeconomic classes and all that stuff. And so through all of that, I really kind of got into the mindset of what it is to grow up in Singapore and be from Singapore.
0: Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And uh, I was just kind of thinking when you were saying go to people's homes, like, how would I go in people's homes? But we had a, a podcast uh, on, the, on here. It was actually a couple, and I really liked what they did. It was actually a Japanese woman and an Indian man. And what they did was they brought their local clothes and spices and foods with them and what they wanted to do was to ride their bike from i believe it was thailand all the way to iran and so what they do is they would ride their bike and they would find local people to stay at their houses and what they would do is for them they would dress up in their in their uh, authentic clothes from back home and cook them a meal uh, from from back home so it's kind of a way of for these local people or rural people who never get a chance to travel they got a taste of of you know indian culture and japanese culture which they probably most likely wouldn't have gotten, and it was just very uh, heartwarming story to hear. And they said, yeah, for example, when they're in Iran, people would just constantly just invite them over to their house to, to you know for tea or, or, or for whatever. You also kind of talk about, uh, in, in your chapter, about uh, spreading your seed and kind of leaving things from you behind wherever you go. Do you have any kind of specific examples of kind of anything that you do specifically or if it's just randomly whenever you go anywhere abroad?
1: I think... Specifically, no, just being in a place and meeting people and talking with people, not just in a quick transactional sense, but like if you can reach out and find somebody that wants to meet with you and have a good conversation, one or two hours of just one on one talk with this person, you are by doing that sharing some of yourself. Like I'm doing right now with you and you're doing right now with me, you know, uh, I'm learning more about you and you're learning more about me and it's like i'm leaving part of myself with you my, the way that i think yeah my thought process the way i see the world it sticks you know it's in there it's now in your perception of the world and so i think about the people that i've met and talked with in japan in switzerland in finland they stayed with me you know they're in my head at any point i can think back to that conversation in the sauna with the guy in Finland. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's in there. So it's, yeah, I think just by talking with people, you're leaving a bit of yourself. The book, How to Live, was designed to take every approach to life to its logical Max. and maybe ridiculous conclusion. So I did actually mean, yeah, like, go have babies with people <laughs> from yeah, around the world. <laughs> uh, and I have meant that very literally. And I do believe that that would be a very good thing to do. Uh, and my... My son's mom is from India. Uh, She's from Tamil Nadu in the southeast uh, region of India. So my son is half Indian. And so I have been doing this a bit myself.
0: Yeah. It's actually funny. When I was reading your book, I think the first chapter was on independence. And I'm like, yes, that's so true. Like, this is so right way. And then I'd read the next, I'm like, yes, it's right. I'm like, wait, those actually contradict each other. And then I kind of realized like, okay, these are all maximums.
1: Hence the subtitle, 27 conflicting answers. Yeah. And one weird conclusion. Yep.
0: Yeah. I liked it though. So, also, as we talked about kind of leaving, spread, uh, spreading your seed, both literally or, I guess, uh, metaphorically as well, uh, taking things away uh, with you when you kind of um, leave places. What do you think were kind of some perspectives or values or anything that you gained by traveling or immersing yourself abroad that you think you would not have had if you had not left the U.S.?
1: Oh, God, so much. Um... The some of them was for some were first hand, but let me start with the second hand ones. There's a I really do think that you can get a lot from reading books and watching movies and such. So, the movie Persepolis uh, is an animated movie by a woman that grew up in Iran and left and went to France uh, after the revolution, and she made a beautiful first comic book, and then it was turned into a movie about it. So, find either the comic book or the movie. Uh, Called Persepolis and gives you a wonderful insight into what it was like to grow up in Iran in the 1970s. So, even though I haven't been there yet uh, and I would love to go, that insight really helped. Then there's a great book about French culture called uh, Au Contraire that is so, so good. It gives you so much insight into why the French are the way they are, where it comes from, what's the origin, helps explain the mindset. Same with another book by I think her name is Kate Fox called Watching the English. Watching the English is also a masterpiece. I think Au contraire is the best I've ever read. And Watching the English is the second best book I've ever read about a culture. So even if you hadn't been to those places, reading a book like that can really help explain the mindset to you much more than showing up on an airplane and taking a picture of famous places could do for you. Okay, so those are the secondhand ones first. The first-hand ones, I think, were let's say the Singapore understanding of this mindset of doing what's best for your family. Like as a former musician, I would meet people who would tell me that they uh, used to do music and I'd say, Oh man, you, you need to follow your dreams. If music's what you want to do, you should do that. And they'd say, well, no, I want to do what's best for my family. I'd say, no, you do what's best for you. <laughs> and then I realized later that that was my American individualism speaking that in their philosophy, it's more important to do what's best for your family and maybe even your country. That's more important than what you want. It doesn't matter that I want to be a poet. That would not earn any money for my family. So I'm not going to be a poet. I'm going to get a job at a bank because that's better for my family. And in that philosophy, that is the right thing to do. Whereas somebody in L.A., (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it would tell you that that is totally the wrong thing to do, that you need to follow your dreams because that's the L.A. philosophy, right? So a little similar with Japan. I mean, I have spent a lot of time in Japan. Um, I've gone many times over 20 years. Wow. 30. 30 years now. Um, and I've understood the Japanese mindset of seeking harmony not wanting, you know, to it's a lot of people in a small space, and so they developed a philosophy of getting along, of keeping the harmony. I don't lots of you know, the the when you're in Europe, the importance of history. Whereas a lot of in America we don't care about history. Who cares? <laughs> you know, nothing before <laughs> I was born matters. Uh in Europe it matters a lot. And then you start to understand why and how it shapes the whole worldview. So things like this. It's it's sometimes it's hard to put your finger on an exact thing, but you start to soak in the the mindset and ideally really understand them. Like don't alienate them. It's going like, they're weird, you know, but uh, take it on and understand that this could have been you. You could have been born there. You could have believed these things and, and you still can.
0: One of the most influential, I guess, values that I, I picked up on while living, especially in Korea, was, was collectivism and kind of eating together a, as a group. Like, you don't go to a restaurant and you order for yourself. You, you kind of order for the whole group and you eat together. And whenever you have snacks or candy or whatever, you're always asking everyone if they want some. And I remember going home and I remember my brother pulled out a Snickers bar and he just bit it. And I was like, offended. I was like, how dare you not ask anybody else? Mm. And I was like, before going to Korea, I would never have even thought of that. I'm like, oh, it's just snickers why the heck would i you know ruin his enjoyment but yeah i think those those are kind of like those shifts that happen when, when you're abroad so we usually at the end of our podcast we have a travel tribe toss-up we just ask three rapid fire questions and maybe you can just right. the first thing comes to mind and so the first question is which places have you gone to that took your breath away
1: hmm india
0: i like that okay <laughs> Very good. Ah, sorry, that was uh,
1: that was rapid fire in its uh, duration, <laughs> but not in its uh, pondering time. Sorry. All right. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, India. Uh, no. No. Actually, no. Sorry. I've got a better specific answer. Okay. Scratch that. Uh, Borobudur, Yogyakarta, Indonesia. Borobudur is a ancient Buddhist temple. And only if you stay at this one specific lodge that is within the grounds of Borobudur, and you stay there the night before, then you have access to enter Borobudur at four in the morning before the sun comes up, and be in it as the sun starts to come up. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really magical. I highly recommend it. Uh, yeah, look it up. It's it's got all these like hundreds of stupas in this big square, and you walk around it. So yeah, try to. If if you're a travel junkie and you want to go somewhere breathtaking, if that's what you're looking for, go to Yogyakarta, Indonesia, sometimes spelled Jogjakarta, um, and nearby that is Borobudur, B-O-R-O-B-U-D-U-R, like Borobudur, in Jogjakarta, sometimes spelled Yogyakarta, Indonesia. Yeah, stay. You must stay at the lodge that's inside the boundaries of the Borbador Temple so that you can go on the 4 a.m. tour, which is just so wonderful. Yeah, I think that's the only thing in my travel history that I would call breathtaking.
0: That's that's lovely, I love that. Second question, what is the most unique or memorable food you have tried?
1: <laughs> in Japan, in uh, Kamakura, which is uh, south, uh i had something once i was dating a japanese woman at the time who said here try this and i tasted it was Bloor! oh god what the hell i said what is that and she goes uh, it is cuttlefish soaked in its own intestines i was like okay <laughs> that was nasty but uh, so that was that was gross but a more interesting story is when I was in Iceland, right there in central Reykjavik, there was a sushi restaurant with the rotating sushi carousel where you just pick up little plates and you go, oh, that plate looks good. So I had some of this, I had some salmon, I had some tuna, I had some shrimp. And then there was this one that looked like a, a different kind of tuna, uh, like a darker tuna. I was like, oh, huh, okay. Uh, and I it and it was it was all right it was fine but later when i was paying i said so what was this one that darker tuna and they said oh that's whale oh gosh i (laughs) ate whale sushi uh unknowingly
0: interesting how they're all all seafood related (laughs) yeah I, I had uh, – in South Korea, we went to the fish market. And in the bottom of the market, you, you go and get live fish and, and, and then you go upstairs to the restaurant and they cook it for you, whichever you want. And my friend and I wanted to try something different and they gave us the stingray, fermented stingray. And so we brought it all oh, upstairs. Yeah. yeah. We brought it all upstairs and she, she told us to smell it before and it, it had a very, very strong odor. And so you go up there, and they ask you, do you want to grill it? you want to put in soup? And so we gave them all the food, and then we told them to grill it. And they come back, but this this fermented stingray is still raw. And we're wondering, like, why isn't this grill? They're like, oh, you eat it the way it is. And so I go, oh, okay, we get our chopsticks, we take a little piece, and we see eat it. And immediately, gag reflex, wanting to barf because it tastes like ammonia. It has that smell to it. And the Koreans yeah. next to us were just laughing. <laughs> wow. So seafood is always a, uh, a risky food to try all right thanks for sharing that and the last one most embarrassing cultural story that you've had happen to over your travels if any
1: i don't get embarrassed just as a general life rule <laughs> um so sorry I, I think i don't have an answer for this uh i think it's okay to just shrug it off like i don't really care what anybody thinks of me if i do something that's completely culturally inappropriate or wrong and somebody tells me just oh okay sorry you know i think sometimes you can see they can see that you've got good intentions if you're being friendly and respectful and smiling and apologetic when you mess up and not uh being brash and uh the opposite (laughs) um then Yeah, I think there's really nothing to be embarrassed about. It's like, oh, learning experience. You know, it's kind of like, I mean, you could zoom out and say so much in life. uh, We learn from those embarrassing moments, quote unquote, embarrassing. Mm -hmm. When you just have to, you know, you ask the embarrassing question and that's how you learn. So, uh, no, I don't get embarrassed. So, sorry, no story there.
0: I like it. We'll keep it like that. I like it. Good. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on today. I want to also thank you for uh, the material you put out there. It's, it's, it's really inspirational and I really enjoy it. If people are interested in checking out some more of your articles or books or resources, where can they find that your uh, material? Oh,
1: you know the answer. <laughs> go to my <laughs> website. Just go to sive.rs and email me. Anybody listening to this should send me an email and introduce yourself. I don't really do social media. I don't like the noise, but I love hearing from strangers around the world, especially. So yeah, go to S-I-V-E see my website and especially
0: see the link to email me and introduce yourself. Fantastic. And I will confirm that you do respond to emails. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, stay in touch. Take care, Derek. Cool. Thanks for having me. Bye bye. Ciao. Well, that does it for this week's episode of Travel Tribe Podcast. Join us each Tuesday as we release new episodes with great adventures. Until then, remember, the most dangerous thing you can do in life is to play it safe. Stay adventurous.